0: Hi, my name is Gary Weber, and I'm the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know many of you listen on a regular basis, or maybe some of you are just joining us for the first time as churches move to online, but we want to give all of you an opportunity to support the ministry here at Southside Baptist Church, whether that's in our physical campus or right here through the virtual campus in the ministry of the podcast and the online services. You can contribute by going to ssbc.org and clicking the Give tab. There, you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift, and anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Hey, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Great to see you, and uh, it is that time of year. Holiday Magic got kicked off last night. I think it was near a thousand people that just were in our three venues that we had. So let me just echo Eddie when he said thank you. And wasn't the music this morning awesome? Great job. I'm so excited. (laughs) I love music anyway, but especially at Christmas time, so thank all of you for playing, and I've got to remember you're behind me today, so I'll try to turn around every now and then and acknowledge that you're there. Uh, Some of you know that if you've been around Southside for long, that for the last five or six years, we have done something every Christmas called the Advent Conspiracy, and the idea behind the Advent Conspiracy is to turn Christmas upside down, and what we mean by that is returning to the roots of what Christmas is about which actually is sort of a a counter-cultural subversive movement that the early church started. Uh, Let me just tell you what I mean by that. Uh, Christmas, December, the the winter solstice was a pagan holiday. And when the early church decided, hey, we need to have a time of year that we recognize the birth of Jesus, they, in a very sort of counter-cultural way, decided, well, this thing that everybody's calling the winter solstice, we'll just take and say, we're going to use that to celebrate the birth of Jesus— and they began to do that in the early church and they took this pagan holiday and they converted it into the celebration of the birth of Jesus. So sometimes today when you hear people sort of, you know, cry out about how uh, Christmas, it's lost its meaning and and it's sort of become a pagan holiday. Well, the truth is it started out as a pagan holiday And, and Christians like you and I came in and said, hey, let's just take this, let's infiltrate culture and let's take this holiday and point it towards what we know is the most important thing in all of human history, which is the coming of Jesus. And so to do that, we continue that tradition of Southside by participating in what's called the Advent Conspiracy, turning Christmas upside down. What we want to do is we want to worship fully. We want to spend less, we want to give more, and we want to love everyone. Now this is not new to those of you who've been around, you've heard us say this every year. We want to worship fully. In other words, we recognize this holiday is all about Jesus. It is all about what God has given us, that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. We want to spend less at a time when most of the world is going crazy and even going into debt to buy things that, let's be honest, they're just going to be in a garage sale someday, right? We want to spend less on that so that we can give more to things that matter and we can demonstrate the love of God to all people. Now, the way you can do this, it's pretty simple. There's some Advent conspiracy trees right outside Uh, these doors, turn to your left, right across from the elevators, they're upside down Christmas trees, and there are ornaments on those trees that represent real needs and real opportunities to make a difference with people around the world, from disaster relief, to orphans, to all kinds of local ministry partners here in Jacksonville, throughout North America, and international missionaries around the world, some of whom are from this very church. So take a look at those ornaments, and, and when you make your Christmas lift, when somebody says, what can I get you for Christmas? Uh, tell them to get you something on that tree. Or if you know people who've got everything they need and more, get them a gift off that tree and write them a note and tell them that you did this in honor of them. It's just a way to help turn Christmas upside down. Now, part of this Christmas idea, this this tension that exists between uh, the the, the empires of this world and the the way the world operates and the way the kingdom uh, operates, we see it really at Christmas time in the story of the birth of Jesus. So this year, during this Christmas season, we are actually going to start a series that we are calling Christmas in Exile, because I think there is so much about the Christmas holiday that speaks to the idea of exile. When I say exile, some of you may think of that in terms of, uh, of refugees and immigrants, and that is certainly true, people who have been exiled from their country for one reason or another. Uh, but I want you to also think about it this holiday season in terms of what God did for us through Jesus. Jesus that Jesus was actually exiled from heaven, (laughs) that he left heaven and came to a foreign and hostile place in order to rescue us from our own exile. Now, it's going to take several weeks for me to kind of unpack this idea because this is not something I know you're all looking at me right now and say, wait, what about angels and shepherds and all that? We're going to get to that, I promise. But I want to challenge you this Christmas just to think about Christmas a little bit differently To think about this tension that exists between the sacred and the secular. Between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of heaven. Now, one way that we see that today, and actually in the news, you're probably tired of hearing about it, is about the supply chain and, and the idea of Christmas being in jeopardy because of the supply chain. Just a few headlines that I've seen over the last few weeks, Christmas at risk as supply chain disaster only gets worse. Now, here's another one that, that we got, another one, um, supply chain crunch threatens Christmas to persist until 2023. Uh, Another one, another headline that I picked up in the last few weeks was this, White House scrambles to address looming Christmas crisis. I mean, this just sounds apocalyptic, doesn't it? Now wait, here's one more. One more I want to show. This is an op-ed. Here's how President Biden can fix the supply chain and save Christmas. You see what I'm talking about? I mean, there's a tension that exists here and you see it in all the media. Now, I want to just calm your fears immediately by saying Christmas is not in jeopardy because of the supply chain. And with all due respect to our current and all former presidents, Joe Biden or any other president can save Christmas any more than Caesar Augustus or Herod could have stopped it 2,000 years ago, okay? It is not about the politicians who may be in power now or who were in power then. That's the whole point of Christmas, that Jesus comes. Whether you are ready for him or not, Jesus comes. Jesus came into our messy world and he comes into our messy lives. He comes into our world and our world did not welcome him. And sometimes he comes into our lives and we don't welcome him either. You've been there, haven't you? Like, God, just, I need you just to, I need you not to come in right now. There is no room for you right now because I got my own agenda. My, my room is full of other things. We did not welcome Jesus in. He was born in a barn. He died on a cross. God sent his son into the world as a refugee, as an alien and a stranger sent into a hostile and foreign land. The point is not that Christmas needs saving, but that Christmas saves us. The celebration of Christmas does not depend on politics, does not depend on the supply chain or the economy, but on our willingness to make room in our hearts for Jesus, to make room in our families for Jesus, to make room in our church for Jesus. Let me tell you another example of the subversive nature of Christmas. Uh, Many of you, and I know this is going to sound political today, and it's not really. I I just want you to get the context that Jesus entered into a very politically charged environment. And guess what? We live in a politically charged environment today. So, many of you know the crisis that has existed with refugees over the last few years through multiple administrations of multiple parties. Nobody can seem to figure out what to do. And so, there was a church um, who, who uh, set up a nativity in a little different way a few years ago that created quite a controversy. In fact, I think we got some pictures of this nativity. They actually put Jesus in a cage, separated from his mom and dad. Now, again, I'm not asking you to think about that from a political standpoint, I'm asking you to think about that from the story of Christmas and the subversive nature of this message. Another picture I think we have of the same idea. Uh, They've got Mary, Joseph, and Jesus all in separate cages in in their churchyard. Now, why did they do this? Obviously, they're trying to make a current political statement, but, but I want you to take that out of your mind for just a minute and think about it this way. This is, in fact, how God sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus into the world into a very politically oppressive environment, and Jesus came in as a refugee. Jesus came into our lives, into our world as an immigrant. He was from heaven and he came to earth. Now this talks about the southern border crisis, but it talks about an ongoing crisis that we experience in our lives too. Because here's the truth. You and I, all of us in here, are refugees and exiles. We are refugees and exiles from the world the way God intended it to be. Anytime you look at the news or you watch the media or you look in culture and you see injustice, you see unfairness, you see violence, you see upheaval, you see all those things. It's just evidence that this was not how we were intended to live, that we have been exiled because of sin into a hostile place and that Jesus came to meet us in that place. See, the kingdoms of this world Uh, the the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdoms of our Lord, this is the Christmas story. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to go through a series that I'm calling Christmas in Exile. And I've got a couple couple things I want to do during this series. First of all, I want to demythologize the Christmas story so we can understand the heart of God. Too many of us, and especially those of us who are Christians, and even if you're not a Christian, this happens to you, too many of us have gotten so wrapped up in what our culture has told us about Christmas that we have missed the very heart of the message of Christmas itself. Second, I want us to understand that when we were refugees, when we were exiles, when we were strangers, when we were enemies, Jesus entered into our suffering, becoming as an exile to meet us and save us from our own exile. And then third, I want us to understand this, and this is where it's going to get really challenging for all of us, that the way we treat the alien, the stranger, the refugee among us reflects what we really believe about the Christmas story. So I want to look at some scripture today, and if you like a lot of scripture, you're going to love today, all right? You may not be able to keep up, so uh, I, we're going to put it on the screen, but if you want to get your Bible out, if, you're, if you went, grew up in sword drill, if you remember that, any of you remember sword drill, today's going to be your day, okay? Uh, today's going to be your day. So let's just look at this for an example, because exiles and refugees are a thread that run throughout the entire Bible, and they all point us to Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by this. There are threads in your Bible, if you think of your Bible as a tapestry, as opposed to just a, a single, a single storyline that goes all the way through, but multiple storylines, all of those storylines run and point to Jesus. And from time to time, you'll know if you've been at Southside for a while, we'll pull one of those threads. What I want to pull today is the thread of the idea of being exiled or refugees. Let me just tell you what I mean about how all these stories of exiles and refugees and immigrants point us to Jesus, all right? First of all, Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because of sin. And God said, "You, you can't stay here anymore. Cain killed his brother Abel, and he had to leave he had, to, he had to go away from the family to a different place. Noah was exiled because of sin. Because of the sin of the world, God sent the flood. Noah and his family were exiled from their home on the ark as a result of sin. Abraham, God called Abraham. He was an immigrant from the land of Ur and Haran. And he, God told Abraham to go to a land that I will show you. And he was an immigrant the rest of his life. As a matter of fact, when his wife Sarah died, he had no place to bury Sarah because they had no homeland. Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, was actually sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. You remember the story? He was the favorite of the father, Jacob, and the other brothers were jealous, and so they basically saw a slave caravan going by and sold Joseph into slavery. Do you know that today there are more involuntary immigrants than at the height of the African slave trade? Let me say that one more time. There are more involuntary immigrants in the world today than at the height of the African slave trade. Matthew Sorens and Jenny Huang in their book Welcoming the Strangers say this, like Joseph, many of today's victims of human trafficking are betrayed by their family who profit from their relatives suffering. True story. See this thread goes on. It goes from Abraham, it goes from Adam and Eve to Abraham To Joseph, and it goes right to the nation of Israel itself. They lived as slaves and exiles in Egypt for 400 years. After that, they wandered in the desert homeless for 40 years. The story of Ruth in your Bible is the story of two women living as foreigners and refugees in foreign and hostile lands. The nation of Israel was carried into Babylon into captivity. That Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and most of the minor prophets all talk about this story. The book of Esther is the story of a young woman living in a foreign land forced to marry a pagan king. The story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all stories of refugees and exiles away from their homeland... Outside of their 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 own country, living in a foreign and hostile culture, Nehemiah was a servant to a foreign king. He went back to help rebuild Jerusalem. And at the end of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel has been scattered from their homeland. Their their their. City Jerusalem is in ruins, and they are exiled and spread all over the Middle East. The entire Old Testament is story after story after story after story of immigrants, refugees, and exiles. And it is all pointing to one thing. It's all pointing to one story. The story we tell every year at Christmas. Now, there's a Hebrew word I want to introduce to you today. It's the word ger. Okay, the word ger actually means a person not native to the local area. This is the word that's in the Old Testament. It's used 92 times in the Old Testament. And it's used in two specific ways. One, it's used to refer to the Israelites when they were in Egypt. They were foreigners. They were not they were living away from their homeland. But it's also used to speak about non-Israelites who live among the Israelite people. So not just that the God's people were sometime foreigners, but that foreigners were also part of God's people, that they would come in and be a part of the nation of Israel. In fact, this is an interesting thing. If you had to guess what the first most repeated commandment in the Old Testament is, there wouldn't be a hard trivia question. It's this, hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, that's the most repeated commandment in the Old Testament. Do you know what the second most repeated commandment in the Old Testament is? It, it's not It it is not, the second most repeated commandment is not to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's not to do any of those things. The second most repeated commandment is to welcome the stranger and the alien among you. Second most repeated commandment in the Old Testament. Let me just go through these quickly for you. Is Exodus 22, 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Exodus 23 9 you shall not oppress a sojourner you know the heart of a sojourner for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt Leviticus nineteen thirty-three and 34 when a stranger sojourns with you in your land you shall not do him wrong the alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you you shall love the alien as yourself for you were aliens in the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God Deuteronomy 10, 19, you shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 27, 29, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. First Chronicles 16, 19 through 22, when they were few in number of little account and strangers in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them, he rebuked kings on their account. Jeremiah 22.3, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence uh, to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Ezekiel 47.22, you shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the aliens who reside among you and have begotten children among you. They shall be to you as citizens of Israel when you when with you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel Romans 12:13 contribute to the needs of the saints extend hospitality to strangers Colossians 3:11 in in that renewal there is no longer greek or jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, let let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured with them. Why would this be such a consistent passage and theme throughout the entire Old Testament? Because it's pointing us to the story of Christmas. When you were strangers, when you were aliens, when you were exiles, God showed compassion and mercy to you, so you therefore must show compassion and mercy to the stranger and the alien and the sojourner among you. This is the whole story of Christmas, and it's not one that we talk about very much at Christmas time. Why? I mean, it seems so obvious when you peel the curtain back and look. It's all about Jesus, that God himself would leave his throne in heaven and become a refugee in our broken world. Mary and Joseph, they were commanded by a Roman empire to leave their home when Mary was great with child. While Jesus was a baby, his family was forced to flee to Egypt to avoid a a despotic king. But in a greater sense, Jesus was a divine immigrant leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth. Philippians 2 said that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself a servant, taking on human form, and he served others, that Jesus was the divine, divine exile. So here's what I want you to know, all right? This is the whole idea for today. If you've checked out because it was too much scripture for you, you can tune back in. The only thing you need to remember, all right, here it comes, ready? Jesus lived as an exile So you wouldn't have to. Jesus lived as an exile so you wouldn't have to. See, we do live in exile in this world. We feel it every time we feel injustice. We see injustice. But Jesus came as an exile so that we didn't have to be exiled from heaven. Jesus left his home in heaven so that heaven could be your home. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the greatest Christmas gift we could ever want? See, we've all lived as exiles because of sin. Today, you may be in a season of exile. Maybe you're separated from your family. You've lost your job. You've lost friends. Maybe those things are a result of your own mistakes, your own misjudgments, your own miscalculations, but maybe they're just the consequences of other people's decisions. But either way, you feel like you are living in exile today. I want you to know Jesus came as an exile so that you wouldn't have to live as one. Jesus left heaven and came to earth as a refugee to show us God's love, to save us from our sin, to set up God's kingdom, and to shut down religion so that we could share in God's life. God's kingdom is made up of nothing but aliens and strangers. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, it's as if you've done it to me. When you welcome in and show hospitality to the stranger, it is as if you were doing to Jesus what was not done for him when he arrived in Bethlehem, making room for him. So what do you need to do? Here's here's what, here's what I want to challenge you with to begin to think about now throughout the holiday season and really all year long. Worship fully this Christmas by welcoming the alien and the stranger among us. I just want to challenge you. If you want to get to the heart of Christmas, the very heart of Christmas this year, welcome the alien and the stranger among us we're going to do something different this Christmas we're going to show a tell a story and it's going to be in four episodes so you're just going to see the first part of the story today and we want you to come back each Sunday in December to see the rest of the story we want to introduce you to someone that we have had the opportunity to know for about a year now her name is Shanique Fisher watch this video
1: Shanique Fisher originally from the Bahamas and this is my story this is life before Dimitri um, I was running a successful janitorial company I was all excited about that and um, you know the boys were in school Um... Uh, and Deja she was already out of school and life life was good. Having another child was definitely not in my foreseeable future, not at all. To be told that you're expecting this little bundle of joy, at first I was denial, because I'm like, nah, can't be. Nah. Uh-uh. But then reality hit, you know, when you're going to and you're there doing the sonogram. Uh, You know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you hear that boom, 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 boom. And then you say to yourself, that's life there. So with the good news, at that time, we were just looking forward to a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby. When the lady who was doing the ultrasound, when she said, all she said to me was hernia. And I'm thinking, okay, Is there something protruding? I was very uneasy because I had two gynecologists arguing over my head. Yes, it's a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. No, it's not. Oh, well, we'll just wait to see. Oh, no, you have to plan. And I'm thinking, they're just actually playing medical Russian roulette. (laughs) I can't do this to my son. Definitely knowing that the Mahamas was not going to be able to To help him in the way that he would have needed to be helped so the congenital diaphragmatic hernia in Dimitri's case the left side of his diaphragm which is the muscle that separates the upper from the lower so all of the organs that should have been in the lower part of his body actually came up through the diaphragm because the diaphragm did not seal properly on the left side. So he had everything up in his left chest area. And because of that, he did not develop a left lung because we had heart, stomach, bowels, intestines, liver. You had everything just up in the chest area. I was wondering how am I going to do this I would definitely need someplace to stay I don't know anybody what am I going to do I have some family on my father's side she was up here in Jacksonville and so we said okay we would um, see if I could stay by her you know and she was she was good in helping me get with doctors appointments etc cetera, etc cetera. so when i first came i went to shans for prenatal scan checkup etc and it was confirmed congenital diaphragmatic hernia I, I had entered in june of 2016 which didn't really give me a a lot of time because Dimitri was born September 1st, 2016. So at that point, when I went into labor, I went right back there to chance. Now I knew what labor pains were about, but these were just different. These were just hitting differently. And so um, when I went to the hospital and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm presenting with. This is what I was told. And they looked and everybody in the room, they just kind of went silent. They just went silent, wondering, okay, I'm here, can you you let me know what's going on? Can you just please? The fear that I began to feel was, okay, is it something more than just a congenital diaphragmatic hernia? Or how bad is this diaphragmatic hernia? Is this gonna be a life-threatening situation for him? Is this going to be something fixable? Is this going to be something treatable? Is this a long term? Is this, how is this going to impact his his day-to-day living? And then I can remember the lady, she came to me and she, she said to me, we are going to do an emergency C-section and we're going to take him from you now, but we have to get him now. there was this gentleman who came to me and he was trying to tell me what all was going on and what all to expect. And I could remember asking him, I'm like, can I at least see my baby? And he's like, we we don't have that kind of time. We don't have that kind of time. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like, you're gonna take my baby away from me and I can't even get to see him. I can't even get to see what he looks like before you take him. So they ran ahead and they did what they had to do. and. Here comes Dimitri. Uh, They took him, and I was able to get a phone call later that night from a nurse at Wolfson's, you know, and she had said to me that, you know, that they have him. And I had asked if I could have gotten a photo and she said that she would have to speak with the head nurse because it was against policies, et cetera, et cetera. And I begged her, I begged her, I said, please, you know, I'm like, I, I just want to see, I just want to see him. And, and she was kind enough, she was kind enough. And they took a photo and they sent it to my phone. So my first, my first time ever seeing Dimitri was by a photo, stayed in the hospital for a few more days and got discharged and was able to go there to see him and when I saw him, he was just a little precious little thing. You know, he had cords running around him from everywhere. It was just cords everywhere. Everything was just beeping and to me it didn't matter. At that point, at that point, when I saw all of the cords and all the machines, and I'm like, "Okay, Sinead, this is, this is far more than you could have ever imagined. This is nothing like what would have been back home in the Bahamas." Take comfort in knowing that you guys made the right decision in coming here to try to save his life. And apart from all of the cords and. All of the beeping sounds. I just saw my baby. I just saw my Dimitri. You know, and I could remember trying to hold on to his hand. And he was able to just grab, grab, grab until he held on to my little finger. And, you know, I started talking to him and I told him that we all loved him and we were just waiting for him and to get better. And it was... It was one of the hardest experiences for me because as a mother, I never knew what it was to leave my baby in the hospital. I never knew what it was to have a sick child. It was just so much coming at you one time, one time, one time, and you're thinking, okay, Shanique, no, I don't know. None of these medical terminologies and even 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 though they tried their best to explain it to me in layman's terms at one point it wasn't that i was not understanding it it was just the mother and me hearing them hearing them but the mother in me just wanted them to say your baby's gonna be okay
0: so uh, many of you know over the last few months we've been collecting for a making change jar we've been asking everyone just to save all their spare change and to put it in this jar every week and we've been collecting that five years later you're going to hear a lot more of shanik and dimitri's story over the next few weeks but just know this for now five years later they are still battling every day every day and they live right here in our community and so we're going to take this making change jar and we're going to use this to help provide for them uh, for the month of December, uh, for rent and utilities. Dimitri has another surgery scheduled this week. And uh, so anything you've got in your in your pockets as you leave, loose cash, drop it in there. We'll continue to collect it through the December and come back every week to hear more about their story. This baby born in a foreign place who continues to struggle and you hear the heart of that mother, which I have to think is the same heart that Mary had for Jesus as she gave birth to him in this foreign Place that she was not aware of or accustomed to. What can you do? You can help us by making change for the for the Fisher family. Uh, we're going to give you more information that as weeks go on. But also, you can participate in the Advent Conspiracy. So many of the things on the Advent Conspiracy trees are about refugees who live among us, making sure that they can hear the gospel, but also making sure that their basic needs are provided for. And also, just this week. We've had a refugee family uh, from Syria has moved into the Parsonage, uh, which my family vacated in August. And it is a family of seven living there. They literally only have mattresses on the floor and the dining room table that we left for them. Uh, If you want to help us uh, provide furnishings for that family as they're transitioning from a refugee crisis in Syria, Uh, you can uh, reach out to us. uh, Just email info at ssbc.org if you want to help with that. And we will have somebody get back in touch with you about how you can help that family. But my challenge for you is to worship God fully this Christmas by welcoming the alien and stranger among you. Because when we were exiles and strangers, Jesus came and rescued us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of this message That, Lord, while we were still sinners, while we were far away from you, while we were held captive, that you entered into our captivity, into our circumstance, Father, that we might be free, that we might know freedom. Lord, I pray this Christmas season that you would challenge us to think about the Christmas story in a different way, and that, Father, by thinking of it uh, in terms of what you did for us, that we might also worship fully by doing so for other people. Lord, be glorified in us. And Lord, for those who are still living in exile today, I pray that today they might open their hearts to receive Jesus and, be, and find freedom. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening like what you just heard take a moment and subscribe you can find us on apple podcasts facebook and youtube just search ssbc jacks if you live in the jacksonville area we'd love to engage with you on wednesdays or sundays you can find out about our service times next gen programming and more at ssbc.org